0: Good morning, church. Happy 4th of July. It is good to, to be with you guys this morning. And uh, our goal is, is exactly what the series says. We want to we thrive instead of merely just survive as we walk out our faith in Christ. And, and that's what this series has been about as we've been unpacking and diving in uh, to what it means to live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the, the, the purpose... Um, is in, in Galatians 5, right before Paul uh, breaks down what the fruit are, he says, you, my brothers, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. He goes on to say that, that we are to, to display this freedom in Christ, this freedom that, that has been won for us, and we're, carried, we're called to carry this fruit out so that we have unity in the Spirit. That's the whole purpose. And so there was a, a pastor, his name was J.D. Greer. Um, he said this statement that I thought was so powerful. He said that the Holy Spirit inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. Think about that statement. Jesus said it himself to his disciples. He said, listen, it is better for you that I am leaving because I am going to send to you the Holy Spirit, my advocate, who will help you and guide you in my truth. And so it is better that I leave. And so that's a crazy thought to think about. The Holy Spirit inside of us, moving within us, growing us, shaping us, characterizing us in this fruit is better than us being able to see Jesus right beside us. It's a powerful thought, but it's the gift that God has given to us so that we can bear this fruit for God's glory so that the world can see and so that the world would come to know who this fruit is is pointing to in in Jesus. We're gonna be looking into uh, the book of Ephesians chapter four, but before we get there, we're gonna be unpacking the fruit of patience. That was the task that I was given. That was the fruit that I was given to, to unpack for us this morning. And it's, it's funny because patience has been something like I'll admit to you right now, I am a work in progress with patience. And, and probably you're sitting there and you can agree with, with that. As a young boy, all the way from a young boy, to, I had a horrible temper, I was very quick to get angry. My parents would say something that I would disagree with, and bang, angry. I would get so angry, my parents thought something was wrong with me, because I would look at them, I would put my hands in my hair, I would clench my teeth, and I would just scream and rip out my hair. I literally had bald spots in my head, and my parents were just like freaking out, like what is going on with our child? That flowed and began coming out in other ways as I got older, when I played basketball at Grace College, I led our conference and our team in one stat, and that was fouls. It was nothing for me to go into a game for a couple of minutes and have two fouls, and then I'd be right on the bench sitting for the rest of the half. There was one time when I almost got a technical foul, not by saying anything to a ref, but by looking at a ref. A ref made a bad call on me that I did not agree with, and I stared him down all the way down the court to the point where the ref went to our coach and said, listen, coach, he can't look at me that way. He looks at me like that again, he's done, okay? Technical. So coach is like, Tan, listen, you can't look at him that way. Chill out, chill out, And so this this patience that we're talking about, this fruit of patience, it is something that that God has been working into my life, and and it's something that I, I hope that you can experience, that you can relate to as well. We all have this propensity, this temptation to be quick to frustration, quick to anger. Patience is the exact opposite. Patience is being slow to anger. Slow to boil. It's a process of of, of waiting. And in our culture, we are never going to learn patience. From our world, we will never learn patience. Because our world systems that are in place right now are meant for everything to happen now. Everything that we see, it's meant to be faster. It's meant to get the job done, job done quicker and better and more effectively, fast, fast, fast. We sit in a drive through line for two minutes and we're like, what is taking so long? If you're like me lately, like McDonald's, okay? Yes, I eat at McDonald's from time to time, okay? And I'm sitting in the McDonald's drive through line. There's been times I've wondered, could I make it to Mishawaka, to Chick-fil-A and back by the time I get all the way through this line At McDonald's like things are meant to go very fast and we love that it's good like those things are awesome it helps us get things done in amazing amazing ways but if we allow that to seep over into how we then treat people we are going to be in a very very frustrating place there's no textbooks kids You don't even know what a textbook is. It's all on your iPad. It's all on your computer. The answers to questions are a hey, Alexa, or a few clicks away, instead of having to flip through pages and pages and pages to find your answer. Like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, how awesome would that have been back in my day? All the cram sessions that I had right before class, as I was trying to scribble in answers to my homework, if you could have just, oh, there's the answer, bang homework's done in five minutes. It's incredible. The speed that we can go is amazing. But when we view people in this way, when we take that same convenience, that same speed into how we deal with people, we have to realize that all of us, we are at very different places in our walks with Christ. Christ. Some of us are further down the road. Some of us are just beginning. And the process is oftentimes very slow. And in that process, God grows us, He stretches us, He, he builds these, this fruit into our lives. This past year, I mean, you, it's, it's been all over the place. I mean, with the political climate, the social climate that's been out, there's so much tension. Social media, off of social media, everywhere you look, there is tension. There is people arguing and upset. There's divisiveness everywhere. And it's oftentimes because we are so quick, we are so speedy to unleash our frustration and our anger. But we are being called as Christians, as children of the King of Heaven, to be people of patience. And it's a fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to develop and showcase into our lives. Because when the world sees the patience we have been shown, the world will get a glimpse of our Savior. The patience that we have been shown is the patience the world needs to see. Would you guys turn with me? We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll give you a moment. We'll stand together. We'll stand together. We'll read this out loud. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 in Ephesians chapter four. This is what it says, and you can read this along with me. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Thank you, you may have a seat. So Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians, the people of Ephesus, and he begins by saying, I'm a prisoner. He was in chains. He was on house arrest, probably in Rome, and he's writing this letter to this group of believers, and he's encouraging them to live a lifestyle of unity that would be showcased to the world around them. The crazy thing, if you were to turn to Acts 19, you get a snapshot of of the ministry that the people in Ephesus were having to the point where literally the world was being turned upside down in the city of Ephesus because of the believer's faith and passion for Christ. And so Paul is continuing to encourage them here and he's saying, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. In another translation, it says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. Simply put, live in a way that represents who you are following. Every sports team has characteristics. Every team that's out there, professional team, you watch them long enough and they are identified by certain characteristics that you just, you say the characteristics and you're like, man, that's that team. It's kind of like when you think of the New England Patriots, you think of cheating. When you think of the Indiana Hoosiers, you think of them flopping at the feet of the Purdue Boilermakers, okay? Every team has characteristics. Team Jesus has characteristics as well. And this characteristic Paul is laying out, he wants to be displayed in these people's lives. He says, be completely humble it's so important. In order for us to practice patience, in order for us to display and carry a posture of patience towards one another, we must first begin by recognizing that none of us has it all together. We have all messed up. And in fact, I'll say it this way, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all at the same position under the shadow of the cross. There is not one of us that has a different position than the other when we are all before the cross of Christ. All of us have carried nothing but our sin to Jesus. And he lovingly chose to clothe us with his righteousness. In Revelation 5, John He gets this vision, this dream from God, and and God gives him this vision in chapter five. And it's a horrible, horrible vision where there's this book of life, the book of salvation, and it is closed, it is locked. Nobody can see inside of it. And John says that there is no one on the earth. There is nobody that has the ability to open this book of life, this book of salvation. And John says there, is a, there was a horrible sound, a wailing, a weeping. Everybody is mourning because nobody was found worthy to open the scroll of life. But then there came one coming as if he was a lamb who had been slain and he audaciously walks up to the throne of God takes the scroll and he opens it because Jesus Christ is the only one who was worthy to grant salvation to any of us. All of us stand at the same position under the shadow of the cross. And if we are going to be slow to anger, if we are going to carry this posture, this fruit of patience into our lives to showcase to others, we have to, to rec- recognize that we do not have it altogether. In fact, we are all very similar to this in a lot of ways. Check this out. <laughs> oh man it gets me every time guys we as people we are very similar to that sheep Isaiah 53 says we all like sheep have gone astray we have all messed up And time and time again, God, just like that that shepherd, he's, he's pulling us out of the hole. Okay, He's doing the work. He's the one that's able to do the work. He pulls us out of the hole. Then what do we do? We turn right around and we dive right back into another one. That is us. But our God in his patient and gracious love, he comes to us time and time again. He grabs our back legs and he pulls us out again and again and again. We all share that experience. There's not a single one of us that has a different experience than that. And there's a reason why Paul starts here by speaking about humility. Humility in this culture that he was writing to in Ephesus where these believers were living, humility was seen as complete weakness. You would be trampled by the culture if you were living in vulnerability, if you were sharing your weakness, if you were living in humility, pride and self promoted power is what the people of Ephesus were accustomed to, were used to. And so what Paul is speaking about here was completely countercultural. What he was calling these believers to practice and live in was completely obscure in the place that they were living. And in our culture, in our society here, it's the same way. Self-promotion, pride, you look all around, those are valued traits. Those are traits that are seen as strength. However many followers or, or how many people you influence determines how much power that you have. Paul is calling these people, he's calling us to something way different. He's calling us to Christ promotion, not self-promotion. He's calling us to humble ourselves, to realize that we are all in the same place, that none of us have a higher standing than the other, so that we can serve one another. Pride is the ultimate villain of patience. Pride is to patience like kryptonite is to Superman. Kryptonite destroys Superman. As powerful as Superman is, with all of the skills and abilities that he has, kryptonite destroyed him. Pride will destroy our ability to patiently love one another when we put ourselves above others, when we put higher expectations on the people around us than we do for our own lives, when we expect our children to act in different ways than than even we do, when coworkers and friends and family, and we carry that kind of pride in our hearts, we set ourselves up to be very, very quick to frustration when they do not meet those expectations. Pride in our hearts, if left unchecked, will cripple us. It will cripple us not only to live out lives of patience, it will cripple us to live out lives that that represent any of this fruit that we've been talking about in this series. We have to be killing pride or it will indeed kill us. Pride is the only poison that is good when it is swallowed. And in order for us to be be patient, we have to realize that. We have to realize that we have messed up, that we are all on the same field as one another, that we are all in a process of sanctification as followers of Christ. We are in this process together. Secondly, we must recognize the patience that we have been shown if we are to go out and give this patience to others. We have to realize what we've been shown. And in Luke chapter 15, we see this illustrated. We see Jesus speaking to this group of people, and he's speaking to them specifically about the joy of, that the Father in heaven has when people repent of their sin. But within one of these parables that he gives, he gives an illustration of his Father in heaven. And this Father in heaven is is an incredible display of God's patient, enduring love for us. Because Paul here, he goes on, he says, I want you to be patient, bearing with one another in love. Well, what does bearing with one another mean? It literally means to hold up, to keep someone from falling. It's this picture that someone is on this race, they are so weak, their legs are tired, they can barely move, and they are just slogging along. And bearing up with someone literally means you see them and you come up underneath them you put their arms around your shoulders and you carry them. You walk with them to the finish line. And that's what we are being called to. And we see this example of this father who displays this incredible bearing with one another type of love. And you can turn there, Luke chapter 15 And in verse 11, starting, we see and we we get introduced to this son, this young son who is in this father's household and, and he's been given everything. He's living in his father's house. He has everything at his disposal. But one day he so pridefully goes up to his dad and essentially says, Dad, I want to live like you are already dead. Give me my inheritance now. I want you to take all of it, liquidate it, give me the cash so that I can go out and live how I want to live. The audacity, the pride could not get any higher for this young man. And the father so graciously looks at him and he accommodates his request, gives him his share of the inheritance And if you read through this parable and you're familiar, some of you are familiar with it, he goes out and he completely wastes it in a very short amount of time. Prostitutes, sex, drugs, partying, alcohol, you name it, he probably spent his money on it. And in a short amount of time, his money is completely gone. It is wasted, there is nothing left. And he is made to literally sit in the crap. his consequences. He is so poor that he does not even have enough money to eat the the, the pods that the pigs are eating. Sitting in the pig pen and he realizes, wait a second, my father's servants have everything they need. They have food on their tables. They have places to sleep. Man, man, What if I just go back and ask my father, could I just be a servant in your house? Because that would be way better than where I'm at right now. And so he does. He begins making his way back to his father's house filled with shame and embarrassment. I mean, literally walking down the road probably darn near naked because he had absolutely nothing And he's walking, head hung low. And then in in verse 20, we get this picture of the father's love, his patient, enduring love for his son. It says, but while he was still a long, long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. It's this picture that Jesus is describing that that this father, as soon as his son left, he wasn't kicking him out the door saying, oh, good riddance. He's a lost cause anyway. Who cares what happens? It's not that at all. The father, as soon as his son leaves, we get this picture that the father has been waiting. He's been longing for the day that his son will come back down the road towards his home. It's this idea that the father has been looking for him, watching for him on the front porch. And then that day finally came when the son comes to his senses. And in this culture, for men to run was completely dishonorable, completely undignified. The father did not care about dignity. He didn't care who was watching all he cared about was that his lost son was coming down the road. He was coming home. And he wastes no time at all. He hugs his son. He kisses him. If you were to keep reading, the son starts into a speech talk. He starting to kind of explain himself Dad, I don't, don't got to be a son. I'll be a servant. And the father interrupts him, doesn't even let him finish. He starts telling his servants, Get my robe get my ring, get my sandals, kill the fattened calf. We're having a party. My son is home. Guys, we are the same way. We have gone to our God in brokenness and with our shame. And what did he give us? He robed us with the righteousness of his son. He wrapped us in his love and he forgave us. He patiently endured our sin, watching us rebel. And in his grace, he drew us to himself so that we could have a relationship with him. That is the patience that we have been shown. Some of you sit here and you you read that story and you're like, oh, I can't relate to the prodigal son. That's not my testimony. I got saved when I was like five years old. And praise God for that. But here's the reality, it took one sin for us to be damned to hell for eternity. It didn't take months and years of lavish lifestyle and wild living to put us to hell. It took one sin for every single one of us to deserve that punishment. And so it is a miracle, it is a miracle. Every time someone says, God, You are who I want to follow. Jesus, take my sin so that I can be your servant is a miracle whether you are five years old or whether you are 95 years old. It's a miracle. And God has shown perfect, enduring patience with all of us. In the midst of our rebellion, a lot of us, we are drawn to to question We're drawn to to ask why. We're drawn to to confusion. God does not have conditional patience towards his children. He is always slow to anger towards us. And there's moments as we walk with God that things things can get scary. Like if you've been following God for long enough, like there's times that it's, it's hard. Choosing obedience and choosing to follow Jesus is difficult. Some of you who are in high school, middle school right now, you're understanding that. It's not easy to live out your faith in places where so many people could care absolutely less about following after the God of the universe. And sometimes we're drawn to be scared. We're we're drawn to ask why. And those same questions that we asked as kids going on road trips, how long is it going to take till we get there? How long is it going to take? And all the other questions that just, I mean, to be honest, as parents draw us to annoyance so fast are the very questions and the very types of things that we ourselves have constantly gone to God with. And he meets us in that place with patient Patient, guiding love. In those moments when we say, God, I'm too scared. I am too scared. I know, man, it would be, that person needs Jesus. My neighbor needs to hear the gospel. But I'm too scared. I can't do that. I, I, I cannot make myself get the courage to go do that. God, I'm too scared. Number one, we cannot do any of this. We cannot follow God on our own. We cannot bear this fruit that we've been discussing on our own. We cannot defeat this flesh and live in the life and will of God like he has called us to on our own. We need his guidance. And when we go to him in our weakness, he patiently meets us when we say we're too scared, God says, I love you. Throw your anxiety and your fear at me because I care for you. I am holding you in my hands. Nothing can separate you from my love. Have confidence in this, my child. When we say, God, I can't do it. I don't have the abilities. God I don't have what it takes, you're gonna have to find someone else. We see this so perfectly in Exodus chapter three. Moses, one of the the just incredible men of faith in our Bibles, leads the people of Israel out out of bondage and slavery. And when God calls Moses, God gives Moses a burning bush that's not burning up. He's audibly speaking to Moses. He turns a stick into a snake And time and time and time again, Moses says to God, God, I cannot do it. I cannot. And even in that moment, the Bible says that God's anger, it built, it built as Moses constantly said, I can't. But then God's patient action steps forward as he gives Moses, his brother Aaron, to be his mouthpiece. God is always patient when we say we can't and he will always help us and guide us to move forward. He says, I love you. I will be with you. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect even in your weakness. There's gonna be moments and there's people in our church that are Currently and have gone through some tremendous, tremendous suffering, tremendous trials. And there's those moments that we're drawn to wonder, like, is, is, this, is all this stuff even real? When we've been gathered together and, and we're in those moments and those places and we're singing, we're praying, but in the back of our minds, there is doubt, there is fear, we're wondering if this is real, and we are confused, and we are heartbroken, and we are just shattered, wondering how we're going to keep everything together. Even in those moments of wondering and asking why, God is still patient with us. He says, I love you. I have plans to prosper you in your relationship with me, I will lift you up in due time. All of your pain, every tear you have cried, will not be in vain. I will comfort you, and I will provide for you. A dear sister in Christ, Kelly Rasler, she lost her husband tragically 17 months ago. And Kelly has been such an incredible model of faithfulness to, to us as pastors in our church as she's walked through this valley of just the shadow of death as she misses and longs for her lost husband. In this past week, in a conversation, she, she said this, and I thought it was so powerful. She said, even when I don't understand why and I'm frustrated, God doesn't treat me with contempt. He chooses to give me his compassion. That's the patience of our God to us. That's the patience that our God has displayed to every single one of us. If we are his child, if we have put our faith in him, that's what we have. And we cannot base our patience, we cannot muster up any patience to display towards anyone else Apart from that foundation of where we have received our patience from. In order for us to have this slow to anger posture to anybody that we cross paths with, in our homes, our spouses, our kids, our friends at school, our teammates, our coworkers, we have to recognize that we do not have it all together. We have not arrived, we are all in this process. None of us are perfect. All of us have the same position under the shadow of the cross. We must recognize the patience that all of us have been given and shown. We have to realize that we are in this together. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4, he said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This fruit these characteristics of the spirit that God wants to develop and shape into our lives, it's meant for our unity and growth as the church. Because when the onlooking world sees the love that we have for one another, the patience, the slow to anger posture that we carry to those around us, and we are unified in that love, We give this incredible, beautiful picture to the onlooking world of how great and glorious our God in heaven is. But Paul warns in Galatians, he said, listen, be careful that you don't start biting and devouring one another when you step away, when you begin to quickly get angered with one another. Because when that happens, when we start biting, when we start getting quick to anger, when we start blasting people on Facebook, when we start just typing and speaking before praying and thinking, we begin setting ourselves up for division. We begin setting ourselves up for destruction. The world this past year has been filled with tension, filled with divisiveness, from political issues to social issues. It's been incredibly sad and revealing in a lot of ways. Like There are some people who would be doing a fantastic service to the kingdom of God by deleting every one of their social media accounts. That's the truth. Because in our world, everybody has been given a platform to speak, to share their thoughts, to share their opinions. And without a, without a moment of thought, people have the ability to just blah, 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 blah. blah and it's out there, it's there. And in our fast paced culture, we are tempted to just speak that way to one another. And so often we, we play off this card that, man, I'll, I'll start, and st- start saying this verse off. I love this country. Praise God that it's July 4th and we can celebrate the freedoms that we have in this country. Men and women have died so that we can have the freedoms that we do in this country. But there are some times, there are some times when we are tempted to hold our freedoms for our country higher than the freedoms that we have been given in Jesus Christ. Just because you have the right to say something does not mean that you should be saying it. It doesn't mean that it's helpful or beneficial for those that are hearing or in the presence of being able to hear. And people have the potential to be highly damaged when we get on our social media accounts, when we get face to face, and carry thoughtless, senseless words into those places without having prayed and actually thought about what we wanna say. We get so easily offended, so easily frustrated And God, the entire time, all of our questions, all of our concerns, all of our whining, every sin that He sees in our life, He patiently, He patiently deals with us. But yet we look on social media or or we see this person say this or that, and we are just, I mean, we are just a mess. How could they? Are you serious? They voted for Biden? How in the world could you vote for Joe Biden? How could you vote for Donald Trump? Masks, no masks, and we go on and we go on. The world is watching us. And we have the potential to love one another even in the midst of our differences. It's okay to disagree, that is healthy but it is how we display that disagreement that really matters. It's when this fruit of patience can come out of us, when we choose to step away from the keyboard, when we choose to say, you know what? I'm gonna go mow the lawn and I'll be back. Honey, I love you. I love you, I'm gonna go mow the lawn and then I'll be back and we'll discuss, okay? I'm gonna go to the garage for a couple minutes. Okay? Man, what I just saw there, that really bothers me. What he just said to me at work really, really ticks me off. And I just want to, but I'm going to pull away. I'm going to go get with a godly brother or sister in Christ. I'm going to share my heart. I'm going to share my concerns. And I'm going to pray about this. And then if I still feel compelled to respond, I am going to go in love to share my thoughts with that person. Being patient doesn't mean that we just tolerate and run into a hole because of sin. Patience is how we deal and how we interact with other people's shortcomings. And all of us have them. All of us have them. And we've all been shown perfect patience As we deal with people, we have to realize that sometimes the greatest way to say something is to say nothing at all. It's one of my favorite songs. And uh, that's the truth. Because we are so compelled, we want to say something. But there are times when the greatest way that you could say something is to say nothing at all. To pray, to step away, and to patiently consider how does God want me to interact in this situation right now? I know I have the right to do this, this, and this, but how can I use my freedom in Christ to humble myself and to serve someone else so that it will build them up and so that it will bring us to a greater unity? That's what God is calling us to. The onlooking world needs to see this slow-to-anger posture within us. I, had a, I have a friend, and uh, recently she was sharing with, with me and my wife her testimony, and we had never heard her testimony before, and as she's sharing with me her testimony, she, she grew up in the, in the Christian church. She grew up in a godly home. Her parents love the Lord, are servants of Christ, and have been for her entire life, She grew up in youth group, kids ministry, youth group, went to Christian school. She was a a model daughter. She was a model youth group member. She was so active and involved in her church. She loved church. There came a moment in her life when she was tempted very, very heavily, and she began having a, a sexual relationship with this guy completely in hiding and in the shadows away from her parents. And this went on for a very, very long time. And she, as she was living, the, living in this sin. And there, there came a moment when she realized that I, I, need to, I need to confess this to my parents. Like I'm living this lie. Like I'm, I'm living like I'm this like strong, godly Christian woman. And I'm like, living in this sin behind everybody's backs. And so she was like, I, she ended it with the guy and she's like, I gotta go confess. And so she, she calls her parents and they come into this room and she's like, mom and dad, like I've got some news that I need to share with you. Like it just, again, prodigal son, like excuses, like just sit down, like just, it's, it's not gonna be great. And she's getting ready to share this and so she just unleashes And as her dad hears this, she's sharing this story. The first response that he has is he puts his fist through the door that he was leaning up against, literally put his fist through the door. He was so throttled. He was so just taken back and frustrated. But then she said the next moment changed her life. Because as soon as he pulled his fist out of the door, he took the three steps away from her and he grabbed her into a hug and he whispered into her ear, there is nothing that you could do that would make me love you less. Like, you're my girl. Like, I love you. She's saying this with tears in her eyes. As I thought about that story, I was just like rocked. Like that dad, he was just giving like some of the worst news that you could have gotten, that he could have gotten at that moment from his daughter. And he was angry. God is angry at sin. Sin makes God want to put his fist through a lot worse than a table and a door. But God shows to knock out his own son so that he could just blast him with his wrath and with his anger so that we could experience his patience. God, in Isaiah 53, said it was God's will to crush his own son. His wrath was poured onto Jesus as our sin was placed on His shoulders. And because of that act, because of that love, we are now able to experience God's patience. But the Bible also says that God is just and that there will come a day when God will return and He will hold mankind accountable for their sin. And in His patience, even towards those who are not following him. God says that that my patience is meant for you to come to repentance. That my repentance is, my, my patience is there so that no man would perish, but all of my children would come to know me and have a saving relationship with me. And so if you are sitting here right now and you do not have a relationship with God, Do not take God's patience for granted. Allow God's patience in your life to draw you to a place of repentance, to a place of saying, God, I need you. I want your forgiveness. I want to have a relationship with you. Today can be the day for your salvation because of the patience that God has shown to you. In our relationships together, let's be characterized by patient, bearing with one another love. When we actively humble ourselves to give others the benefit of the doubt, to accept the fact that we are all sinners, that we are all going to make mistakes, and we say, you know what, we are going to realize we don't all have it together, and we have been shown perfect patience by our God. May we be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to display this patient grace to our spouses, our kids, our friends, our coworkers. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus, that you took your Father's anger so that we could experience his patience. God, thank you for patiently and tenderly loving us. Even when we complain, even when we mess up, when we ask why, you are there. You are there to walk with us. You are there to help us. And we thank you that you've never treated us with contempt. You treat us with compassion. And we love you for that. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.